On this episode of Created Equal Season 3, Writers on Race, a conversation about media representation and depictions of African-American life in the media and pop culture. This time, my conversation with NPR TV critic Eric Daggins, who is the author of Race Bader, How the Media Wields Dangerous Words to Divide a Nation. In the book, Deggins addresses the lack of representation and problematic stereotypes on television. He starts by telling me what he thinks has changed about the media landscape since the book's release back in 2012. It was founded on the principle, We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That all men are created equal. All men are created equal. Everything's changed, and some things uh, never change. So, <laughs> Everything and nothing, you, right? <laughs> that's what you can depend on in in, uh, in Hollywood. Um, well, you know, the scripted, I think the scripted side of television, um, the fictional side, has made the most progress. And, you know, when I wrote the book, <clears throat> um, TV, uh, broadcast TV, cable television, um, you know, these high-end um, premium cable channels like HBO and Showtime were just uh, starting to, to get started in terms of diversity and how they were depicting people of color. And there were still, I think, a lot of shows that were kind of backward about these issues um, that were on television. And, and you know, I, I started my chapter uh, on scripted television talking about uh, Two Broke Girls and, you know, that's long ago sitcom on CBS and, and you know, it had some pretty stereotypical characters of color on it. And flash forward to today, and especially for African Americans, um, there's a much wider range of shows out there for people to experience, you know, everything from, you know, Atlanta on FX to Insecure on HBO um, to Blackish on ABC. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a wide range, Sherman Showcase on IFC. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, 30% of um, the Emmy nominees this year in in uh, major categories where black people mm. is 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 a sign that there's just so much more out there and so many more high quality venues uh, for uh, creative people of color in television. So that's so that's that's much better. Um, you talk about other areas of television. You talk about, uh, for example, uh, reality television. Yeah. You know, has not gotten um, has not gotten better, and um, you know certainly hasn't gotten better at the same pace is what I would say. You know, they're they're just getting to the point where people are kind of looking at them and saying, you know, what what about this show, Cops? You know, what what about Live PD? You know, what about The Bachelor? What about you know you know people are are finally starting to ask the really tough questions that you know, frankly, I had in my book. Uh, back in 2012, about these you know shows like Big Brother, and and The Bachelor and Survivor, and how they treat people of color. So um, so you know, like I said, you know, in some ways there's been a lot of progress, in some ways things haven't changed very much at all. Hmm. So uh, the 70s is a really pivotal decade for television and its depiction of black people. You say it ushered in a time when black people on TV could more openly address issues of oppression, but that shift came with its own set of uh, of stereotypes. Talk more about that time in TV history, which of course is the time that I'm growing up uh, in America and watching television and noticing some of these depictions. 
Yeah, and, and in fact, to understand what happened in the 70s, I think you have to understand what happened in the 60s. So, so, so in the 60s, television was largely very escapist. Um, you know, of course, we didn't have cable television. It was all broadcast. We mm-hmm. only had a few channels. And, you know, we had shows like Petticoat Junction and The Andy Griffith Show and Mayberry RFD. You know, these were all very escapist, very un- unrealistic uh, depictions of America at a time when America was going through uh, the biggest social upheavals um, that we had seen in a long time between, you know, multiple assassinations of people like, um, you know, John F. Kennedy and, and Martin Luther King Jr. and the mm. Vietnam War and, 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 and race riots in the streets. And, and, you know, the stuff on television wasn't dealing, wasn't really dealing with that at, at all. And, um, you know, so you had these producers who wanted to create something that would uh, kind of deal with it and also figure out a way to add diversity to television. So uh, Sheldon Leonard, who some people might remember from the film It's a Wonderful Life, he played the, uh, played the bartender. Mm-hmm. Uh, Look at me, I'm giving out wings, you know, <laughs> if you remember that, that line. Well, he, he became a TV producer, and he actually created I Spy because he wanted to get Bill Cosby on television. And so um, the only way he could do it was by pairing him with a white actor. And and so um, Bill Cosby and Robert Culp played these you know secret agents, and and it helped that all of their adventures were outside the U.S., so they didn't have to worry about depicting how things were in America, and and then we also had Diane Carroll with um, with Julia, and and we had the rise of this character that I called the Super Negro, where um, you know black people had to be so perfect to stand mm. next to white people. Um, you know Robert Culp's character was um, you, you know a tennis pro, but you know kind of a tennis bum, you know. <laughs> and 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 um, and and, and uh, Bill Cosby's character was his trainer, but uh, you know he was also someone. Bill Cosby's character, he he was a Rhodes Scholar. He spoke seven languages. He was a martial arts expert. <laughs> he had to be all these things in order to stand next to a white guy on television, uh, somewhat as his equal. Hmm. But then we get to the to the seventies. And I think there's there was a there's a real sense that TV has to start getting more realistic, more authentic, has to really talk about what's happening. And Norman Lear kind of pioneered that with All in the Family, where he finally gives us uh, a sitcom centered around a family in Queens, where uh, it's it's the way people were actually talking. Mm. You know, uh, Archie Bunker, um, you know, was talking the way a, a lot of people, uh, a lot of middle-aged white men were talking in their homes at that time. And and you know the the um, CBS did did some polling around the show after its first season, and they found that even though Norman Lear set up all in the family so that Archie Bunker would kind of be the butt of the joke, you know, look at how ignorant this guy is, 30% of their audience thought Archie Bunker was the hero of the show, <laughs> and everyone else were, were the people who were, who were the butt of the joke. So, um, so, so he was speaking, he was speaking authentically and speaking in a way that a lot of people were, th- were speaking at the time. And then that led to the creation of more realistic shows depicting black people. So we saw uh, good times get get created where, um, you know, a family and a housing project in, uh, in in Chicago, and then we saw What's Happening come, you know. And, and this is, um, you know, Sam, Sanford and Son with Fred Sanford um, as, a, as a junkyard owner in Los Angeles. And, and, and this is the rise of what I used to call um, the ghetto comms. So we, we got more realistic depictions of one level of black people, but they were all in, um, you know, poor neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, with failing infrastructure and, you know, making jokes out of living in situations that were pretty 
um, pretty bad. Mm. So um, on the one hand, you know, like I was a young black kid growing up in Gary, Indiana in the 70s, my father wasn't in my house. So to turn on Good Times and see, you know, at least in, in the early um, seasons of the show, an intact family where dad was home and he was taking care of the kids and, um, you know, education was valued in the household and, um, you know, they were doing the best they could in desperate circumstances, you know, that re- that was the kind of life I, I wanted to be living in a way, you know. <laughs> so um, so I could look on TV and at least see some people who looked like me who were kind of in the situation that I was in, uh, but the, but dad was home. And, 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 and you know, I, I, that resonated with me. Um, and I'm sure it resume, resonated with a lot of black folks. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's where we, where we, how we got to the 70s. After a short break, more of my conversation with NPR TV critic Eric Deggins, the author of Race Bader, How the Media Wields Dangerous Words to Divide a Nation. I'm Ann DeLisi. I'm Rob Reinhardt. And we're about to bring back the perfect opportunity to honor your favorite pet and support WDET. During our spring fundraiser, Ann and I will combine our shows so you can honor your dog. Or your cat. Or your dog. And WDET with a gift of support. We're looking forward to hearing about your pets, no matter what kind of cat that is. Cats and dogs and any other pet you may have will be part of our fundraiser. And if you can't wait till the weekend, make your gift now at WDET.org slash give. Or call 800-959-9338. So in Invisible Man, uh, you know, the narrator struggles with this burden of black stereotypes as you're talking about. You know, in the beginning of the novel, the narrator's family encourages exaggerated civility and subservience in order to combat white racism. And this kind of mirrors that, that initial impression of black people on TV that you write about in in your book what's interesting is that's that's something from the 50s and yet you still see it happening as late as the 70s and maybe even into the 1980s yeah well i mean again so the primary mode of television in the 70s and 80s is still broadcast television and broadcast television is funded by advertising and so advertisers are are who um, help determine mm-hmm. what gets on television because uh, you can have the the best TV show in the world that draws the biggest ratings in the world, but you know if advertisers don't want to put their ads on the show, then that there's no way to turn that viewership into money. Um, so so I think one reason why stereotypes about black characters and black people and black culture persisted in television in the 70s and 80s is because. Um, you know, Madison Avenue and the, adver- the nation's advertising industry was largely white, and 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 they have those stereotypes, and uh, you know wouldn't necessarily support um, a TV show that would be uh, too um, um, uh, too forward-looking, too adventurous in breaking those stereotypes. And you know, I, I think it's it's telling that aside from the Cosby Show, which was a way of breaking stereotypes in the most positive, least disruptive way. Mm. Um, you know, some of the more um, uh, groundbreaking portrayals of black people that we saw were either on upstart networks like Fox or they were on uh, HBO uh, with The Wire and before that, The Corner. Mm. Uh, 
Eric, I want to ask you about TV today, where I, th- I feel like we have not only a, a, a richer sort of menu of uh, depictions of African Americans uh, on, on television and in movies, but where African Americans are now in control of those depictions. You you mentioned Atlanta uh, earlier, uh, Insecure. Uh, shows like that, which are not just featuring black actors, uh, but they are conceived by and uh, directed and driven by African-Americans. Um, the depiction, of course, looks very different. Uh, and even when it uh, even when it levels criticism or makes fun of uh, black people, which is which is something that happens a lot on Atlanta, I feel like. Uh, it, it comes across differently because it's coming from somebody who has had uh, those experiences. It seems like we're in a really different era now than we were before. Yeah. Well, you know, you you know, uh, somebody you can crack jokes about your brother or sister. <laughs> right. but you would never tolerate somebody making who's outside of your family. And so, you know, there's a difference between sort of in group talk and, 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 and talk about your group from outside. Um, but I think, you know, one thing that's really important in today's television uh, is authenticity. You know, uh, younger viewers especially uh, really value that, and they have a very keen sense for when they're watching a TV show that is inauthentic. Mm. So, so in order to get authenticity, um, you really have to um, let the people who are being depicted tell their own stories. That is, um, you know, that's been a big lesson, I think, for scripted television, is that, you know, you, you really have to develop talented storytellers of, uh, of color and then let them tell their stories. You know, um, this, this amazing show on HBO that just debuted called Lovecraft. Yes, yes. You know, here's a, here's a, uh, a series that basically takes a black family and kind of puts them in, inside the narratives that we normally uh, see white people in, in terms of uh, horror and sorcery mm-hmm. anthology stories, right? And, and one reason why it feels so authentic is because a black woman, Misha Green, is the showrunner and, um, and helped and developed the show. Um, you know, Watchmen, even though the showrunner on uh, HBO's Watchmen, which is another example of taking sort of a white-centered genre and putting black characters at the center of it, um, you know, the showrunner that was Damon Lindelof, who's a white man, but he had a lot of black writers helping him craft that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's really how you get the cultural nuances um, right. And that's how you get things to the point where, um, you know, it, it feels like, it's something that could be happening. It feels like an authentic representation of culture. And I, I think TV's biggest challenge now is to develop creative voices, um, non-white creative voices that are not black. It's time mm. to develop more Latino voices. It's time to develop uh, more um, Muslim and, and, and Arab voices. It's time to develop more Asian-American, Asian voices. You know, it, it, is, it is time to expand that palette so that, you know, next year or the year after, 30% of the nominees will be non-white, and they won't all be black. Right. <laughs> you right. know, we'll, right. we'll, we'll have more diversity, and we'll have more stories told. I mean, you know, the thing to me, what's, be- what's best about this is that you get better television. Mm. You know,
know, there's a reason why Watchmen got more Emmy nominations than any other uh, series this this time around. It's a it's an amazing show, mm. and one reason why it's amazing is because of what it says about race, and particularly what it says about race in terms of the comic book industry and the superhero industry's long legacy of centering white culture in its narratives. And Watchmen just takes that table and just turns it on its head. And, and that's one reason why it's so impactful. And, 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 and I think when you add diversity, you just add the chance to do that more, to challenge these narratives that we've all gotten used to and give us something that feels fresh and different and, 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 and authentic. Uh, and, and, and that's the great... That's, that, that's what hurts media and television the most when you have uh, a lack of diversity and you have oppression of certain voices. You, you are denied the quality of their stories. And, 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 and you know, once you lift that oppression, you know, the, the, the quality of storytelling just goes, it goes way up. Yeah. That was my conversation with NPR TV critic Eric Deggins, the author of Race Bader, How the Media Wields Dangerous Words to Divide a Nation. On the next episode of Created Equal, my conversation with author J.M. Holmes, who wrote the collection of short stories titled, How Are You Going to Save Yourself? A lot of uh, African-American authors, I feel like a lot of their books deal with the assigned identity versus the asserted self-identity, mm-hmm. that straddling, that resisting the external definitions that are, are placed upon us, because so often they're not generous. Created Equal is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Our executive producer is Joan Cherry Isabella. Our producers are Jake Near, Anna Marie Seisling, and Claire Brennan. Our sound engineers are Matt Trevethan and Rowan Niamisto. Our composer and senior editor is Sam Bobian. And our social media and digital assets are done by Maida Stangi and Tony Brown. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson.